0: Hello and welcome back to Blind Spots. This is the Film Inquiry podcast where I, Jake Tropila, share a film I love with my co host, Christy Strauss. And she, in turn, shares a film she loves with me. And together we talk about the films that we've watched. And uh, since this is the month of October, we thought we'd do a little special themed episode and bring you our Blind Spots Halloween Spooktacular. And to also make this a more memorable occasion, we're going to double our views and watch four movies instead of the usual two. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm Jake Tropila. Let's say hi to Christy. Christy, how are you doing?
1: I'm doing awesome. How are you?
0: You I'm just said fine. you were doing great. but Of course. Well, I want the people to know and you to know that I am doing A-OK. And uh, yeah, I am really excited to get into this episode. Um, we both each picked two horror movies that we are fans of. Um, and I watched them all. I watched all four collectively, and uh, yeah, I'm really excited to get into this. Um, how, did, how did you feel about this whole? this whole?
1: Yeah, it was a lot of fun. I mean, who isn't watching horror movies in the month of October? If you aren't, you should, and maybe these will give you some great recommendations, but yeah, I had a, a blast re-watching ones that uh, I grew up loving, and watching yeah. some blind spots that Jake introduced me to.
0: Yeah, yeah, same. I think uh, you know more than any month, this month sort of influences how cinephiles uh, choose what to watch. You know, Halloween gets or Twitter gets festive with their their movie lists and their names and everything is all Halloweened out. So, uh, yeah, let's get right into it. Um, to start off, uh, I recommended a film um, that I really like. Uh, it's 1981's The Fun House, directed by Toby Hooper. Um I first saw this film when I was 13 years old and it scared the shit out of me. Uh it actually gave me nightmares for many years uh, and we'll get into why. Um but uh yeah, this is a movie um Toby Hooper of course is the famed director behind The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, one of the greatest movies ever made, not just a horror movie, it's a fantastic film. Um but The Funhouse follows four teens uh who are on a double date They go to the local carnival that is uh, in town for the uh, the fall season. And uh, them being teens, they decide they get the brilliant idea to uh, spend the night in the carnival uh, and hide inside the Funhouse ride after dark. And uh, this does not go well for them, to say the least. Um, But, yeah, that's uh, that's the general premise of the Funhouse. Christy, what were your initial thoughts seeing this movie?
1: Yeah, and you know, I also got to give it out to Toby Hooper. I love Sams a lot. Poltergeist. I mean. Um, but anyway, yeah, I really legend. enjoyed it. Yes, of course, legend. No, I I really enjoyed this movie. It was a movie I'd always wanted to watch and just again, sometimes it happens. <laughs> Life yeah. happens. Um and I I so I hadn't seen it and I always wanted to, and of course, it's always a good idea for teenagers to stay in a fun house overnight. I mean, especially like in the beginning of this movie, I think they say like this is the carnival where someone died or like there's there's always those warnings in the beginning
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: and of course they always ignore them but how else would we get our horror movies but yeah I really enjoyed it it was yeah
0: you have to think there's not not really a lot of thought put into the staying the night in the fun house you know you're in a room you're in basically a, a oversized warehouse with animatronics but there's there's no running water there's no restrooms you can't there's no probably no comfortable places to sleep um, so, yeah, it's probably not a, the wisest idea all around, but, uh, you know, teens, they're prone to do um, dumb, daring shit. Uh, but, yeah, Toby Hooper um, opens the film with a great or a fun little homage to both uh, Psycho and Halloween. Um, our protagonist, uh, Amy, who's played by the great Elizabeth Barrage um, who, after seeing this movie, I decided should have had a bigger career than she has had because I think she's fantastic. Um, she's in the shower, and a masked assailant enters the shower and starts stabbing her, and then she realizes that the knife is like a plastic fake, and she goes after the assailant, and it turns out it's her little brother, Joey, who's just trying to scare her. She threatens to get him back. Um, but yeah, I like this little opening. I think there, there's a lot of creepy things to it, like she runs into the bedroom and sees, like, a lump under the sheets move and tears the sheets off. And there's, a like, a creepy puppet. This movie is just all about creepy puppets and animatronics <laughs> that really lend to the atmosphere. But there's a puppet, like, with a knife in its head. And there's, like, a scary Frankenstein poster on the wall. A lot of horrifying things. Um, but then once we get to the, uh, the like, the carnival in it proper, um, it's, like... It's like one of the like best depictions of a carnival that I've seen in a movie. Um, because normally, when there's a carnival in a movie, you know it, it's it's very uh, it's a very fun atmosphere. You know, everybody's having a good time. But this is like bottom of the barrel. Everything is just grimy and filthy. There's like dirty people walking around. They keep getting accosted by this bag lady. Uh, I don't know. What are your thoughts on the uh, the awful, icky carnival atmosphere?
1: I love the bag
0: lady <laughs> yeah
1: Um. She, I actually was hoping she'd come back more but no I Uh. first of all yeah. I, I love the opening too that was something I really appreciated and uh, I actually yeah. just gotta say not to like jump ahead but I thought that that would tie into things more with the whole like she's gonna get him back thing because um, it kind of like echoes at one point without spoiling like towards the end but I just I don't know it um,
0: kind of does My it, my thought is that she set up what happens to him later but uh yeah i don't Hmm. know i i think that's i think that's his internal logic is that oh his sister pulled this off for him
1: right even well then i was also like kind of hoping i wish she had but um (laughs) yeah but yeah no i think you're right like that's his kind of thought in that moment but um no i love the atmosphere and i think it's definitely grimy and as as you said it's uh I don't know the best word for it other than grimy, I guess, but yes. it's just it's definitely has a feel to it, which makes it even more funny that you'd want to, you know, spend the night um, yeah. there. But
0: like at one point they um, like they walk by this like drifter looking guy and like he's he's noticeably like wet and covered in like what looks like to be a combo of mud and blood. And like it looks like somebody just straight up smashed a beer bottle over his head and he's just kind of stumbling away. Like, yeah. that guy is in terrible shape
1: yeah and uh, then there's like the guy with the peep show <laughs> yeah
0: there's well we should mention yeah so there's a uh few characters introduced at the carnival that are very prominent um the first is the uh the barker um who's played by kevin conway uh great performance in this movie um he's uh i don't know if you noticed but he's every single barker in front of every tent that they go to He he plays all the roles he's they go to a like a there's like a freak show tent where they see live animals with deformities. Um, they go to uh, he's also operating just that the fun house ride. And then he's also, yeah, the the peep show um, Barker, each, each one. He's like in a more elaborate costume than before. Um, but uh, yeah, he's very creepy. And he's also assisted by this like guy in a Frankenstein mask who is also a prominent part of the second half of the film. Um, But uh, one scene I really want to highlight before we kind of get to the really horrifying stuff is they go to this show um, of this guy, uh, Marco the Magnificent. Uh, And it's William Finley, who is probably best known as the the titular Phantom in Phantom of the Paradise. He has this show where he uh, brings a young volunteer on stage and he shares like a history lesson about Vlad the Impaler. And then he impales, seemingly impales this woman in the chest. And she, like, spits out blood, and then he opens the coffin, and, oh, she's okay, and it turned out to be his daughter. And it was all just—it was all a staged bit, but it's its a lot of fun. I really like this moment because just for, like, these three minutes, this actor comes in and kind of steals the movie away in, like, this very fun and charismatic performance. What, you, what did you think about Marco the Magnificent?
1: I enjoyed it. I was mad at all the people— uh, heckling heckling is that the right way yeah yeah like, yeah. Oh, <laughs> like yeah. in the background I'm, those people always make me mad anyway it's like you're there for the show just you know enjoy mm-hmm. it like don't make fun of someone putting a show on but no I, I i thought that scene was great um it's just it's not even necessarily something that has to be in the movie but it does have to be in the movie if that makes any sense like it doesn't really tie into the narrative other than it's just painting a better picture of this carnival atmosphere
0: yeah Expect the unexpected, I guess you could say. Um, and yeah, the, the heckling does also kind of drive me crazy in movies. Like, I feel like the performer would lose it. But he actually, he's pre- he pretty his, composed.
1: He keeps his calm. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't let them around.
0: And they, should all, they also go to a fortune teller, uh, Madame Zena. Yes, and they're dessert. mean to her. Yes. Yeah. Well, like, all the teens are shown, like, kind of smoking pot in the like behind one of the tents. And so they're all, you know, mean and goofy and giggly. Um, and we know the stigmas about doing drugs in a horror movie. Right yeah. yeah you're gonna get it, yeah, exactly, <laughs> but um, yeah, so things eventually they do get on the fun house uh, and they jump off the carts, and so they're stowed away in the ride, and then this is where the uh the guy in the Frankenstein mask comes, and he, we see that he's actually trying to pay uh the fortune teller to have sex with him, and he's using the uh the proceeds from the carnival, and um he uh has a, like a accident where he he goes before like they can even do it and so she uh you know she decides not to sleep with him and he gets mad wants the money back and kills her in a fit of rage and the kids are all like in the attic part of the funhouse which I want to kind of t- take a moment just to say this is like the large the funhouse set is like so bigger than it appears to be um like there's they're up in an attic then there's like a first floor and then at one point they fall through a trapdoor into this vent so it's like I'm really Kind of curious about the construction of this funhouse. It's it's very large and elaborate, which is something that I don't know if you've ever been to like a county fair, but they they bring these things in and they just kind of build them on the land. It it would not be this huge, um, no. yeah,
1: <laughs> it wouldn't be. But uh,
0: yeah. But anyways, the uh, the yeah, the and once the um the Barker of all the uh the carnival, he finds out that uh, the fortune teller's dead, and he gets mad at his son, and he starts like yelling at him and hitting him, and the son rips his the Frankenstein mask off and we find, Oh, that he's like a deformed monster. And this was the origin of my nightmares was seeing that guy's face when he screams for the first time, like just sent shivers down my spine. Um, uh, It's designed by Rick Baker. It looks fantastic. It still holds up, but yeah, that guy terrified me. I couldn't watch the movie for several years because of that face. His scream
1: scream is pretty epic. (laughs) Uh, Yeah.
0: It's, it's, it's so ugh. like I, I like honestly giving you flashbacks
1: like, to <laughs> right give me
0: flashbacks that evening I saw it. I like jumped out of my I because I was lying on my bed watching it in my bedroom. Uh, I jumped out of my bed and ran for because I didn't have a remote and I ran forward and pushed off the power on my TV set. I I couldn't watch it. That it was that uh, haunting. Um, and which is weird because like, I'm kind of sitting at the edge of my seat, like, oh, come on, let's see what's under that mask. You know, you're waiting for the reveal. And yeah. then once it, once it pays off. Um, but yeah, then from there, it kind of, uh, just turns into a, the, the, the Barker and the monster discover that, oh, there's somebody else who's, whose presence is made known. And they realize that they're, the teens are in the, the fun house with them. So then it just becomes becomes more of a typical slasher,
1: yeah but, hunt for um, the teenagers sort of thing but yeah, yeah the um he's his dad so it almost is you know when I was watching it was almost like uh Texas chainsaw um in the sense of that kind of like family, you know oh, yeah. it says like is, you know blood uh over you know is stronger or whatever but um mm-hmm. yeah, so it's it's similar in that way because you know you have this like child that's just kind of like Texas chainsaw obviously um mm-hmm. he has a deformity and stuff, um
0: but There's he's still mask. gonna
1: yeah, exactly. But he's still going to look out for him, and that might mean killing some teenagers. So there's actually quite a bit of similarity there, okay.
0: yeah. there's there's actually a um there's a a novel. This was not based on a novel, but it was later made into a novel by Dean Koontz um that I wrote once. And like the first hundred or so pages are like this long backstory that are all about like the the monster and his family. And it, it is kind of a thing where he, you know, the Barker took just basically what, as you described, he looked after his son and they went and traveled, but because he can't really control him, there were some murders that happened. So like a few people disappeared every time the carnival comes into town. So that's kind of, they kind of expand on the CD history of the uh, the carnival itself. But um, yeah, so I, I uh, you know, for a, a fun little Halloween horror movie, you know, you have it has like all the elements just are in place, but like it has just a, such a wonderful lived in feel. Uh, I, you know, I highly recommend The Fun House. Um, yeah, yeah. Did you have any other uh, thoughts on the movie that you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, just that I think um, it it is kind of like a perfect little, you know, Halloween mm-hmm. October watch um, because it does kind of give homage to several things. And it's also, yeah, I mean, it kind of turns into, you know, a slasher, but it's um it's fun and, you know, it's. Mm-hmm. has has a lot to appreciate so it's you know it's not like a, a mindless slasher because you know there are some um it's yeah. it's it's fun yeah it's a <laughs> it's funny that we keep saying that word and it's in the title it's not even on purpose but i would definitely recommend it <laughs> okay.
0: it is a house of fun you could say yeah um but yeah great uh, i also wanted to highlight the opening set credits are also oh great. i
1: love the opening credits I actually when i was watching it watched them twice
0: Oh, I, interesting. I just
1: enjoyed them.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's just, it might little... have
1: been because I stopped it and started it. And then I was just, i going to go back and start it from the beginning, even though I had just gotten to the end of the credits because I was doing something. And then I was like, oh, I have to like take these in. They're, they're awesome. Yeah, it was basically used... like, it's like images of the different, like kind of animatronics and different mm-hmm. uh, pieces from the, and the music is great. It's like it grabs, oh, yeah. shakes you sort of music, you know?
0: Yeah. It's got that, that little, that kind of slightly cheerfully, uh, carnivalesque soundtrack, yes. but it's it's uh it's not cheesy at all. It's great. And the animatronics are terrifying. Um but <laughs> we need yeah. to
1: stop talking about those sorry Jake.
0: We'll <laughs> move on. It's okay. We'll no, move this...
1: on to something that kind of affected me as a child.
0: Yeah well <laughs> let's go on to uh your first film of the evening. What uh what did you suggest? Uh
1: so the nineteen eighty eight film Lady in White mm-hmm. um directed and written by Frank laloja It's uh it's a movie that You know, in my time as a a film fan that I haven't come across a lot of people that knew it, it was a movie that was actually given to me um, a family friend back in the days of VHS. um, They gave it to me on VHS. It was actually a double feature of this and Beetlejuice on the same VHS tip. So, of course, I watched it repeatedly, incessantly. Oh, wow. It was, a, it was an awesome, actual kind of awesome duo. So I can't remember the family friend, but if you're somehow listening to this, thank you. Because that was actually a really good pair. Um, but yeah, it's it's just one of those movies that's kind of under the radar. But there's, it's really embedded in my childhood. And it's a lot of things that I, I can appreciate as an adult. Because um, mm-hmm. sometimes when you watch something that you just have nostalgia for, you know, when you're older, as a critic, especially, you're like, oh, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I, I still... Um, Yeah, I still love this movie. So it's kind of, um, to set it up, it's being, like, this author is telling the story of how this um, young boy growing up, um, basically he's haunted after he sees this uh, murder of a little girl. Um, Basically there's this, in this area, there's been, like, kids that have been disappearing and dying. Mm
0: -hmm. And,
1: you know, it's... It's um, I don't want to like go too into the story, but um, did yeah. you? En- we'll we'll just ask. Did you enjoy it? I
0: personally? did. Um, I uh, yeah. This is not as uh, as dark or as violent as the Fun House. Um, it's, it's got
1: its own darkness or... in ways, though. Like your Fun House yeah. is more like maybe in your face dark, and this is like kind of just settles in your bones dark. If that makes sense. Yeah,
0: yeah. What what really struck me about um, like what I really loved about this movie, uh, Lady in White, is I. It has just such a perfect fall atmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, it's very, it's very lush. It's very orange. It's got like the town just is. is and it's also it in Halloween. A, I should is, say,
1: I should have said that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, it is set around Halloween. And I think the latter parts of the movie go into December. But um, yeah, it is mostly takes place in October. So uh, just the the town itself is like, it's all just orange leaves and, baskets of candy corn and are in the shop windows um, which I loved and, uh, and I yeah it's... <laughs> <laughs> I specifically wrote that down just to bring it up I but uh, yeah it's uh, but no it's got a great atmosphere and then also um, I feel like this is a kind of a movie that uh, I really wish I had seen as a kid um, because I'm of the opinion that uh, children should be started in horror movies uh, at a very young age Um, You know, I think we should expose kids more. Uh, I'm not saying Mm -hmm. throw like the Saw movies at a at a child, but, you know, just kind of show them that, you know, the world is not a bright place through fiction and then also kind of ease them into it so they can they can handle things better as as an adult. That's Mm -hmm. that's just my own. That's my own opinion. I think this to me feels like a very good uh, gateway horror film because essentially it's about a child. It concerns the death of children, um, but uh, I think kids could see a lot of themselves in this movie if they were to grow up watching it. And I could certainly understand why you had um, a- attached to it at a young age. It's uh, yeah. We should mention the kid is played by Lucas Haas, and I think yeah. is his his debut. It was kind of weird to see him like so young, and his his features are like he's he's relatively normal looking compared to how he looks now. I think he's a goofy looking guy. Um, but no disrespect to uh Mr Haas uh but yeah, this so yeah, it's got a great um fall atmosphere, and then also like I'm just i'm also throughout the movie, there's these optical effects that it uses um when it kind of goes into the ghost realm, and i'm I was just instantly charmed by all of those,
1: uh, yeah. There's a real charm to it, for sure. And and by the way, it wasn't his debut. He was uh, in Witness, and he was also in some shows. Um, Remember the Harrison... Have you seen Witness?
0: I've seen Witness, okay,
1: yes. Okay, okay. Just just checking. We're you know, we always gotta check the blind spots boxes if it comes up, you know, organically. That's, that's true. <laughs> Good point. Um yeah. yeah, and ironically I actually thought the main character in Funland uh Funhouse actually kind of um was trying to do a Han Solo look a little bit, Harrison Ford, just so
0: that's so funny <laughs> you said that. Just to go back to that, Buzz, uh Amy's date in the movie, he has got like that. He's a bit more of an asshole than Han Solo, who's already <laughs> kind of a kind of a dick in some aspects. But yeah, he has got that like that the hair and everything, He, I was just thinking that. He's like proto-Han Solo. But,
1: yeah, uh, random little connection that was accidental. But yeah, I thought that was... And by the way, Buzz, he did start off like an asshole. But he, in the end, I mean, he actually did... Uh, he was actually less of... He was an asshole, but he was less of a dick as the other guy that was with him. who <laughs> yeah, was well, like...
0: Rich is the real problem, because yeah. not only does he suggest they stay in the funhouse, but he also, we Lost. find out, he stole the money from the earnings... <laughs> Which yeah. doubly makes them wanna be killed by the, the the Barker and the monster. So he dooms them all basically. But yeah, uh,
1: he does. Um, yeah. but to go back to other kids in peril, so <laughs> and these this isn't the last time this is gonna happen this episode either, by the way. Um, <laughs> We've gotta have kids in peril. But yeah, no, I, I watched a lot of horror movies growing up. Um this wasn't like necessarily the first one I saw either, but it was uh all very young. But what one of the things I love about this movie and it's something that also happens with like E.T. or just certain movies I watched as a kid. It has like a certain feel. Um, And yeah, this one definitely has, and it just always brings me back to it, even at my age. Like I just, I can like go back into that place. And this movie has this fall feel and it's almost like, you know, Lucas Haas is great in it too. Um, You know, he, him and his brother have this like, you know, kind of back and forth. Like, you know, he picks on him, you know, like general relationship that people have. And you know but he's he's pretty happy even though kids when he's reading like this his own scary story which is awesome by the way i feel like i was that kid in class um tells like a story that's actually trying to creep everyone out and they're just like at first you know lame but then they're like oh <laughs> this is scary um yeah. so he's kind of like the weirdo in a sense even though he has a, someone that's a crush in him but you know you just like instantly kind of connect to him you connect to the town um has this like uh it's like an Italian family mm-hmm. um, that has, like, a really interesting – there's some, like, humor. There's there's a lot of humor worked in, especially in the beginning. Um, and, and you just really, like, go into that right off the bat pretty early. And so when he sees this – and one of my favorite scenes in the movie, when he sees the, the ghost – and mm-hmm. I also want to say I love it when ghosts in movies are not the evil ones – um, mm-hmm. you know, cause so often, you know, if there's a spirit in a film, unfortunately it tends to be, uh, the cause of pain. But in right. this, in this, it's actually just wanting to be seen and he by these bullies, um, these kids and one of the kids, the one is one in big. So it's funny to see him be like the bad guy. I don't know if you remember that he's like, um, his best friend in big, but anyway, so they lock yeah. him into the, like, uh, what is it like? coat closet and yeah like behind the classroom yeah so he's stuck there and you know he's terrified obviously and while he's waiting he he like basically sees this little girl come in she's talking to someone it's like a spirit it's obviously not you don't Mm -hmm. it doesn't look and I love that and I know we talked about this a little bit but I love the look of the spirits too um
0: yeah
1: but yeah and he sees her basically get murdered um but you can't see the person that's doing it to her so it's just her being dragged and there's just something really like kind of potent about that sequence it's you kind of feel like him like on the shelf and he's just like shaking watching it
0: and that's a great shot too of just him in the corner and there he's by this window it's actually like the poster for all the artwork Mm -hmm. for this movie it's just this boy and he's in a Halloween costume too, so he's got like yeah. a, a spooky mask on the top of his head. But he's just kind of cowering in the corner, staring at this this haunting image unfolding before him. And you're right, it's like a it's a it's a replication of how a murder took place that the spirit is doing, but the actual killer himself is not there. So we're seeing like a a, a spiritual memory, I guess you could say.
1: But then uh-huh. he shows up. Yes. Yes. Um, to find something that was dropped that mm-hmm. could incriminate him, and so of course there's that whole you know sequence of him trying not to be seen in, in the corner not move and uh, you know you're kind of holding your breath with him and he he like slides his mask down
0: mm-hmm. and
1: it's that that shot like when when the killer you don't know what it is yet like flashes the light on him it's it's super eerie I think that's one thing too that kind of resonated with me when I was a kid obviously like the story is about kids getting killed (laughs) i was like probably like even a little younger than him um so like that obviously sits with you but also just some of those sequences are just a a little you know kind of bone chilling eerie
0: yeah it's definitely eerie and i I was for a second i was i was not expecting it to go as far as it did i thought that the uh the killer would just see the, the uh lucas haas in the corner and just assume it was some like discarded halloween decoration But uh, no, he actually tries to actually strangle him in that moment. But he he fails. And then there's this um, there's this subplot where uh, this uh, this I think his name is Willie. He's like the black janitor on uh, the school. He's accused of the attempted murder. And there's this kind of in the background of the film, just this ongoing trial uh, with him. um, And but he had nothing to do with it. Um, But yeah, yeah, that's that's probably like the I would say this is the creepiest scene in the movie is that sort of inciting incident in the uh, the closet um, it's just really effectively put together and then after it though yeah. what's really great is when like Lucas Haas is recovering in the hospital and I think he has that dream about going into the afterlife with the ghost girl and mm-hmm. she shows him um, her grave and the way it's like shot and lit is that it, and I mean this with, uh, with the most amount of praise possible is that it, it looks like like a like a student production that you would see on like a stage just like there's you're kind of drawn into the artifice of it because it's just got like this very ethereal glow um, to it but it's it's just really kind of beautifully done and I love how she wakes him up like she's there's some nice practical effects about him like her manipulating the shoes um, with her with her hands and feet and then also like she she breathes on the glass and draws a heart with her finger and we don't see her do it we only see the the result of it happening but um yeah like you said it's a it's a very it's a very unique take on ghosts um and yeah. uh i think that's uh that's certainly one of the more memorable aspects about it um yeah
1: yeah and i agree with all that and you know when he first sees her obviously he's terrified cuz i mm-hmm. mean that's the general, like, human response, I suppose. Uh, I'm still waiting for my ghostly encounter, and I'm all for it. So just throwing <laughs> that out to the universe. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so, at like, at first he's terrified, but then, like, and, you know, she's there sometimes when he doesn't know. But, it, you know, he realizes that she's looking for her mother. Mm-hmm. And he starts to feel for her and want to help her. Um, yeah. And it's it's kind of sweet in that way. And it's, it's obviously really sad. Um, But then there's also the lady in white, who Mm -hmm. is this, uh, you know, person that they say kind of like roams and haunts. And when she does first come to his window, it's a little, a little creepy, too. But there's obviously, you know, I don't want to spoil that. And but there is a story to her to Mm -hmm. that, you know, um, obviously, misconceptions about, you know, ghosts and who's what's happening, but it does come up with a pretty interesting and disturbing kind of answer to who the killer is. And there's definitely, unfortunately, you know, it's a small town. There's a, you know, a bit of racism with the, with the janitor, I think, but also he, he was like, I think he was like passed out and drunk. So when they found, um, Lucas Haas, who I actually think they said his heart might've stopped. And that's why he see, has that like dream sequence sort of Mm -hmm. situation, not dream, but like where he goes to the other side. Um, so, of course, if that's the only other person in the building, yeah. you know, it makes sense. But there's actually a, a narrative there that isn't, like, a lot on the screen, but it's also very tragic. Um, and it's kind of sure. giving you an idea of, like, the circumstances from um, from a different side. But, you know, I it's something that when I was younger, I don't even know if I fully grasped how, like, what I mean by dark this movie is, with obviously, like, child um like sexual abuse, murder, it's, it's pretty dark stuff. Um, so I don't like, I think I felt that when I was a kid, but um, so even as an adult, I mean, it is is—it is a dark movie, but it, it also just has, um, despite that, I think it has a lot of beauty to it. And even sometimes yeah. some things that could be perceived as like cheesy or, um, and like you said, you meant it in the best possible way as far as um, that one scene. But, you know, I actually... I, I appreciate it, you know, for its time. Um, and I actually think some of the decisions they made with like effects and how they did it, it just works perfectly for the aesthetic of this film. If that makes sense. Yeah, like, cause no. if they made this movie now, they'd make it different and it just wouldn't have the same, it just wouldn't have the same effect.
0: It, another thing that this movie, like you mentioned it with the family, but it just, it kind of, this movie was interesting in that it just really, it really kind of takes care to move at its own pace Um, Yeah, it's it's close to two hours long. So it's not really in a rush to solve things. And we do get a lot of great time with the boy and his family. And he's got he I don't think his mom had passed away. So he's he's Mm -hmm. Italian grandparents are living in with them. And, and it's it's really kind of sweet how like this father is just trying to raise his kids and he's got help from his work friend. And, uh, and also the, the older brother gets involved in the mystery too. And he becomes an active part of the story later. So It's yeah, it's very just a very, very sweet film about um, like your family and also just finding out who your potential surrogate family is if you don't have one um, that's that's living. But uh, yeah, yeah, I a lot of a lot of great elements. And I just I found out just kind of doing research that, you know, I was mentioning that I was a really big fan of the cinematography. But uh, Russell Carpenter, who shot this movie, he went on to shoot a little film called Titanic. So uh, he's definitely definitely got the goods. Yeah. It's just independent an independent movie <laughs> made, made nine years later. Seven uh,
1: people probably saw it. Um, yeah. Yeah. So just the final thoughts on this too. Um, it, that Italian family reminded me a lot of the movie Moonstruck. I don't know.
0: Yeah. I've seen Moonstruck. Yeah. It, it even yeah. has like
1: the grandfather that's like getting scolded for smoking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it reminded me. That was a movie I watched a lot when I was younger too. Totally different movie. But yeah. Um, so that that is... Uh, Lady in White, so yeah. I would definitely recommend it. Um, I think it's it's worth watching, and yeah, it's kind of a little gem. I mean, again, it's not like a perfect film, but it's it's definitely entertaining, and I think there's a lot of interesting stuff done.
0: Yeah, I would recommend it as well. The only my only gripe, I guess you could say, my biggest gripe, is um, the uh, the sort of wraparound narrative that kicks it off. I almost feel like you don't really need that, or the uh, just some of the voiceover that happens throughout.
1: The voiceover like... that is no, I felt the same way, honestly. To to be a hundred percent honest here, when I had this on my VHS, mm-hmm. so Beetlejuice was first, and it actually cut out the beginning of it. So like when he was oh. telling the story, he he never had the part where he arrived in town, went to the graveyard. So I like only saw it from like being narrated from when they start showing Lucas Haas. So I actually yeah. forgot about that whole beginning until I watched it as an adult. Cause I watched it so many times as a kid. Cause that's just what you do. You rewatch yeah. movies over and over. Um, but yeah, that that's something that I also have a gripe with, like for sure. I think it's something that they probably could have changed, but still yeah. not a big one.
0: Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't hurt the film completely, but uh, yeah, just def- definitely not necessary. I guess you could say.
1: Right Exactly, yeah, yeah.
0: but uh, all right, well, uh, shall we move on to film number three in our list?
1: We should, and it's a right. it's the third in a series too. Look at that
0: wow, up. I totally did not plan that when I <laughs> chose the order before we started recording, but uh yes, so um quite unusually, I recommended uh, to Christy um the Exorcist Three, which is also sometimes known as uh, Exorcist Three Legion or just uh, Legion was the original working title, because that's the uh, William Peter Blatty novel it's based on. But um, yeah, this is actually a relatively recent favorite of mine. I kind of finally watched it and discovered it a few years ago, and I was taken aback at like how secretly great it was. Um, a little background, of course, everybody knows The Exorcist. It's probably the most acclaimed horror movie of all time, um, if not one of the top three. Uh, I don't think anybody is disputing that. Um, And then uh, as far as sequels have gone, um, most people is sort of ranging from like disasters to just written it off completely. And I think a lot of the problem is uh, Exorcist 2 was not that well received when it was released in 1979 or whenever. Or I think it was 77. Um, But uh, I secretly I'm a fan of that movie. I think it's uh, bonkers and great and a lot of fun. Uh, I think you said you liked it too, right?
1: I did, yes. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So... Um, but yeah, moving on to Exorcist 3, uh, which I don't know anybody had if anybody had any faith in when they saw it because it didn't really do well upon released and it sort of received mixed um, box office and critical reviews. But uh, I think lately it's it's been kind of getting its due as a horror movie, um, and which is yeah why I was thinking this is, movie is actually pretty great, but uh, it takes place uh, fifteen years after the original Exorcist. Um, In fact, the two characters that we see walking away together at the end of The Exorcist, uh, there's a cop, uh, Lieutenant Kinderman, who's played here by George C. Scott, and a priest, Father Dyer, uh, played by Ed Flanders. Um, We found out that after the events of The Exorcist, they've sort of kept this really strong friendship together throughout all these years. Like, they uh, go to the movies together, which is something I always like to see, is when characters go to the movies and movies. Um, And uh, there was this recent murder of... um, there was this black boy who was like volunteering for, um, I think it was like a police unit or something. He was asking for donations. He's mm-hmm. like murdered and his body is desecrated inside of a church. Um, and so uh, George C. Scott is investigating it. And then not too long after, his own priest friend, Father Dyer, is also killed. And um, the manner in which he's killed is like completely otherworldly because he's in a hospital bed for like a routine surgery or checkup and like all the blood in his body was drained from it and put into jars but none of it was spilled uh except to write a message on the wall which is um it's a wonderful life which was like yeah. the movie he was watching the other day. Well it's a um, the movie
1: they always see together. Or yeah. a movie they have seen. It's his favorite movie he's seen at the most. Yeah.
0: yeah. So you always want to see that when it's yeah. in theaters and and so yeah so uh, the movie is basically George C Scott investigating what's causing these uh murders because there's there's no there's no possible way any human could commit them just the way that they're carried out there just has to be some supernatural force at work which he's not he's not exactly a god-fearing man but um it's it's definitely you know something that troubles him and uh there's this character Who is introduced as patient X? And in some forms, he looks like uh, Father Damien Karras, who is the priest that sacrifices himself at the end of The Exorcist. But in other forms, he also looks like a deceased serial killer who is known as the Gemini Killer. And here he's played by Brad (laughs) Dorif. Excuse my pronunciation. Brad Dorif. Brad Dorif. And I want to
1: stop you though, because. Also before we like go into that the reason that these murders are like resonating with him is because they're the same as the Gemini killer someone yes. who passed away and that was a case that he worked on he was he was he was put in the electric chair he died so he, there's no way because there's certain details about the murders that were never leaked mm-hmm. or they were leaked wrong to yeah. try to like limit people who obviously like calling in it's me or whatever and they're not the case because they don't know the real details, which makes sense. Right. So when he starts seeing these murders with specific things like It's a Wonderful Life has two L's or, you know, like a certain fingers cut off, he's like, you know, this is way too similar to the Gemini killer. And that's also why it's um, you know, really obviously bothering him And you know, when he yeah. loses his best uh, good friend too. But like, Definitely. yeah, so then it kind of sets up the story to be in this hospital too, which is interesting because like once, basically he realizes once his friend's Uh, the priest is killed it had to have been someone in the hospital and that's why they like kind of put the focus on patient x just to
0: yeah there's there's also this um this old woman who like passed out in the hallway near Mm -hmm. the the priest's room within like the exact hour time frame that he would have been killed because he gets regular medications and so she's also a suspect for a while but she's just a she's just a frail old woman and like again she can't possibly do like such an exact method of just draining a man's blood and bottling up neatly without spilling anything. Um, so then, great. yeah, you wonder, is the devil at play? And that's where this, this great sequence between uh, Brad Dourif, uh and uh, George C. Scott happens where he interrogates him inside this cell. And like, uh, Brad Dorf's an actor I've always loved, but I think he's the best he's ever been here. Um, it's probably my favorite performance of his. Uh, He's, he's just so fantastic. And there's, there's like some, some slight modulation happening with his voice. So it sounds demonic and deeper, but just the way he like delivers every line, he just is just, it's fantastic. What do you, let me, I'm going too far ahead into this movie. Chrissy, what are your (laughs) thoughts on Exorcist 3?
1: It's, it's okay, Jake. This is the third one we've done. So sorry. Um no, I I really enjoyed it. Um there's there's a lot I want to dissect, but I will talk about Brad Doree first. Um mm. sorry, just gonna keep making fun of you for that.
0: So I'm saying it right. I don't know what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Maybe someone can tell us what's what's accurate. No, you know, it is interesting. He's um he's amazing in this and he's done so many great roles. Like I was obviously like I love him as Billy Bibbit, Wormtongue, Chucky. Um but You know, this is kind of and he's done plenty of like horror or like not necessarily the good guy, but Mm -hmm. it's awesome. His voice changes. He sings at one point high pitched and then it goes low. And obviously they add some effect to that. But I think he's pretty good at just move like changing his voice around a little bit, too. But I love the sequence with George C. Scott and him. And it keeps changing, like from what the audience is seeing. To what he's seeing. Because he's seeing as Damien. I don't know if he... like. Cause I, I'm i pretty positive the way that they make it seem. Like he's still seeing him as Damien. Even though we recognize that it's redder. Mm-hmm. But there's this amazing shot. They're on opposite sides of the cell. And there's like... It's t- totally dark. But there's these two lights coming in from these two windows. It's just shining on them. Yeah. And it's just... I I love that. And something else I want to bring up even mm-hmm. though the priest does die and that's a big catalyst for a lot of things. Um, the conversations like this movie was actually kind of more f- just funnier than I expected. Um, had some, oh the, yeah the banter um, between him and the priest and the priest and the other priest in the beginning. Like some of that is just amazing. Uh, some of the lines there, I had so much fun with that.
0: Yeah, they're great. I love where after they finish the movies, they're kind of, George C. Scott's dreading to go home and father dies asking him what's wrong and he admits that his mother-in-law's in town and she's preparing a carp for dinner three nights One of later. the best
1: stories I've ever heard in a movie, just saying.
0: Yeah, and and so the, the, in order for it to uh, to be like cooked properly, the carp needs to be alive right until food prep. So it's just living in George C. Scott's bathtub and he can't even go in there. Uh, and so he like even says, you can smell me, father. I haven't had a, a bath in three days. So he's he's like just being tortured by this carp at home. He's
1: like, I hate that fish. Yeah,
0: yeah, he's it's it's yeah, it's fantastic. And yeah, they go go to a restaurant together. There's a I don't know if you noticed there's a cameo by Larry King at an Mm -hmm. adjoining table. Um, But speaking of cameos, um, (laughs) another another thing. (laughs) Exactly. Well, another thing I love is uh, I always like to see any any sort of uh, interesting depictions of the afterlife uh, in Mm. film. Um, and this one occurs early on where uh, George C. Scott goes to bed and he has a dream and he's walking around this uh, like this hospital ward. And there's all these angels with wings walking around and he passes by one on this bed. and It's freaking Fabio with angel wings. He doesn't say anything, but he's just there up in up in this dream heaven. Um, and then he also this is where he preemptively discovers that father dyer's been killed because he sees him um i think he's playing chess or something with another angel uh he's actually he's actually with uh, patrick ewing who was a basketball coach is there as an angel as well and uh father dyer's got like these stitches around his head and then he finds out that uh you know he, he gets a phone call the next morning that father dyer's been killed and he's actually been beheaded which is a common thing occurring through all the bodies and they're like wondering how that could happen and we we discovered that there's like these giant hospital shears that are capable of doing the job in one blow. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, I think a lot of, you know, the exorcist three's reputation is sort of getting better as these years go on. And I think one of the things it's most famous for is it has an all timer of a jump scare about halfway through the film. Um, it's uh, it's, I won't go into too many details about what happens because um, it's it's fun to discover for yourself for the first time, but there's like a shot that it that is held on for like a, the longest time, like close to five minutes, and then when it happens, it really gets you. Um, you were you said you were a fan of that uh, before we started recording.
1: Yeah, when yeah. I was watching it, I actually yet yelled yes because <laughs> yeah. I loved it so much. But um, it is a good jump scare, and it does like. You know, I I love the conversations with um, Brad Dorff and everything, especially Mm -hmm. like as they go. But some of my favorite parts of the movie were up in like probably like the first three quarters um, of the movie. But I I love that jump scare. And uh, I, you know, we also got to say Scott Wilson is in this movie too, Herschel, if you're a fan of Walking Dead and. Obviously, Scott Wilson is in many other things as well, but he's a doctor there who actually, in turn, has something to do with it. But it seems like, you know, being that this is something that's supernatural, there's a lot of people in the hospital. Um, I think there's even a reference, like, people that are catatonic or or semi-catatonic, or some are the easiest ones to possess. Um, So there's plenty of, like, things. And it's funny, too, they don't ever, like, say the name, I don't think, of the... the, um, entity yeah. they just keep saying the one or um, and i might be wrong about that but they keep referring to it in a certain way which i really liked as well
0: well but, the uh, the entity's name proper is in exorcist 2 it's pazuzu which right. is a name that you kind of giggle at when you hear her. so <laughs> i think it, i think it's kind of wise that they um nobody says it out loud and it is inferred heavily through brad Dorf's dialogue that mm-hmm. he's you know the reason he's doing this is he's talking about he makes kind of specific references to Reagan McNeil's exorcist from the first Mm -hmm. movie where he talks about like he's he goes into that monologue and he's like certain parties (laughs) are unhappy the (laughs) removal from a child's body yes so it's obviously
1: like the same but I just love the way that they talk about it like certain parties like it's like they don't want to throw that out there for some reason Um, I don't know maybe it gives it power somehow if, if you say it but yeah. It's uh, interesting. It's I love some of the conversations, too. It's yeah. like, um, because, you know, also like George C. Scott with these dreams, that they, they turn out to be kind of like premonitions because, yeah. you know, he does see like Father Dyer. You know, he sees like, I think his, you actually see like stitches on his neck, I think. Yeah. Um, and he sees the boy, too, in the beginning. So true. there are, yeah. you know, kind of premonitions to that. And I do love that there is a lot of connective kind of tissue to the first one, even if it isn't nece- yes. Like you don't necessarily have to watch yeah. it. I don't know if you haven't watched the first exercise to do it, but still, you oh, know, yeah. I, I like those little things, you know, those little nudges here and there that remind you of it. Um, and also, I don't know if I commented on this, but the whole like removal of blood thing into the jars was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. It's so cool. I know that makes me sound like a creep, but I just thought it was really cool. Um, it's,
0: it's weird. how you, Yeah. We describe it and it's just sounds like this horrifying movie, but not <laughs> a lot happens in the way of violence on screen. Right. It's all inferred. Mm-hmm. Um, And going back to like the connections to the first Exorcist, I mean, I mentioned that the the person that um, George C. Scott frequently interrogates in the cell, he also occasionally looks like Father Karras and the actor who played him, Jason Miller, actually returns in this movie. And I think that helps solidify the connection. And also uh, we should mention that not only is this based off of a William Peter Blatty novel, but he actually directed the film. Yes. Yes. and it was actually kind of a troubled production because he was going for a um he wanted a more low-key approach to the the story, but uh, the studio kind of wanted something more extravagant. So I actually watched both the director's cut and the theatrical for um for you know this conversation we're having. and the the differences in a lot of key moments are stark. like the the ending of the director's cut it just kind of is a it's kind of more of just a like. There's no pomp and circumstance to it, but in the theatrical cut, we almost basically get like another extended exorcism sequence happening in this cell. Um, but uh, yeah, there's there's like none of that extravagant stuff is in the director's cut. So it was it was like these compromises I guess he had to make to have the movie released. But uh, the the Screen Factory Blu-ray, if you are curious, it has both cuts. Uh, okay. Which yeah, it has to they didn't have the masters of the original version. So they had to restore it using old VHS tapes. So the the quality is not as good on the director's cut, but, uh, I still it's love it. So cool. Yeah. I still love the, uh, the theatrical cut though. I, even the changes they made, I think it's great. And, uh, exorcist two is great and I hope you all see it and think so as well. And, uh, yeah. and, and go watch, uh, go watch exorcist two again. It's not as bad as you may remember. <laughs>
1: um, yeah. And, uh, I didn't know Damien returned. I. It's funny when I say that. I feel like I'm talking about the omen, <laughs> um, but I didn't expect that character to come back. And I, when I watch one of the movies that we that same, you recommend, yeah. I try not to read much about it if I didn't already know something. And somehow I didn't know. So it was pretty amazing when he first was shown. I was like, kind of like, yay! Um, yeah.
0: <laughs> so I, that I, was great. Yeah, I was yeah, exact same way. I anytime I go seek out something new, I I just try to turn off. As much around the film as possible, so I can go in as fresh as I could, and and I apologize to the listeners out there who are the same way, and we've told you most of this movie, but uh, there's still plenty to discover, and uh, yeah, Jason Miller returning is uh, one of them, um, but uh, yeah, that's uh, I think that's all I have for Exorcist Three, other than go watch it as fast as you can, along with yeah. the other two movies we mentioned, but uh, yeah, Christy, do you want to bring us home with uh, our fourth film for the night?
1: Yeah, and I'll just say you know it's always an excellent day for an exorcism. Ah, um, uh, yeah. And we did talk a lot about it, but I assure you, there's plenty to, to be discovered. And I really did enjoy it. My, like I said, my only gripe before doing that would be the um, the final act, sort of. But That's I think true. with exorcism yeah. movies, that sometimes happens um, too. But that it's, I don't yeah. always. It's, I feel like it's hard to uh, end a movie.
0: You know. It, yeah. yeah,
1: it is hard. So ironically. Um, not planned, but the last movie, because this was kind of discussed a while ago, was The Witches, um, not the new one, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is from 1990, um, uh, directed by Nicholas Rogue, and it was a movie, again, that I grew up on. I have not seen the new one yet, so I can't have any commentary on that, but this is a movie that I watched as a kid, I loved as a kid, but also, you know, creeped me the hell out. <laughs> um and it's, again, kids in peril. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so basically, if if you don't know this story, um, you know, it's based on a, a book from uh, Roald Doll. so obviously it's going to be kind of weird. But basically, this young boy stays in a hotel in England with his grandmother. Um, the young boy is Luke, uh, Jason Fisher, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, and basically, while they're there, and they have this like cute relationship um i think his parents had passed away so he he lives with his grandma um and basically while he's at the hotel he accidentally sees a clan of witches um it's kind of like a convention i think and the thing is you know his grandmother believes in witches she says that she had an experience i don't want to go too deep into it but you know when she was a girl and that she believes that they're real so it's already something that you know, kind of like in his head. And then, so, when he actually sees it and he sees the Grand High witch who is Angelica Houston, um basically like lay out her evil plot mm-hmm. as as villains often do, but they didn't know anyone was watching this time. Um, he gets himself in a kind of a pickle, I guess you could say, and kind of caught in a mouse trap, but boom, sorry, that I had to lay that out.. Um, <laughs> I'm so funny. No, so he gets turned into a mouse along with his uh, (laughs) newly acquainted friend who uh, likes to eat a lot and uh, basically gets let in just by chocolate. Because their idea is kids love candy, which, of course, isn't, um, unfortunately, a new concept. So they will, you know, be brought into a group of random strangers. You know, don't get... candy from strangers and uh basically test this formula which because i have to actually say too witches they hate children they hate them mm-hmm. <laughs> and they can smell them and they're just like disgusted by them so they of course want to end children and, and why not just turn them into mice you know that's uh easy peasy and they so they have this potion and they test it and he gets caught watching and he gets turned into a mouse too so from there it's kind of like a at a venture to become human but also to obviously like stop their their plot and yeah. uh yeah
0: yeah so i i mean yeah that's uh that's the that's the gist of it um it i've always so this is a film unlike a uh, lady in white which i actually had never heard of uh before christy suggested it to me um i've always had the witches on my radar Um, I'm a big fan of Nicholas Roeg. I love Walkabout. I loved performance. Uh, Don't Look Now is a fantastic horror movie if you're still looking for any late seasonal recommendations. Uh, And I love uh, The Man Who Fell to Earth with David Bowie. Um, So he's made several films that I'm a fan of. And uh, it it was interesting going into this one because, I mean, not only is this ostensibly uh, a kid's film, um, but although I think a lot of adults can still appreciate it, and we'll get get into that in a second, Uh, But it's also based off of a Roald Dahl novel and um, it's produced and has several uh, effects by Jim Henson, um, which are uh, let me just just to get right into that are extraordinary throughout like a a part of me. I I, I should say right off the bat, I loved this movie. Um, I I thought it was, you know, it was great. I've always heard about it. I knew it was about witches turning boys into mice. That was all I knew. But yeah, it was it, it is all kinds of awesome. And particularly because of Jim Henson's uh, puppetry effects hold up so well, like the mice, it's, it cuts between like real shots of mice to uh, these great animatronic mice to maybe like puppet mice that speak. And it all it, it just makes me like wish for these special effects to return because they're I just know. so they're so good. I I'm probably never going to watch the new Anne Hathaway, Robert Zemeckis, <laughs> witches because I just know it's going to be CGI mice the whole time. It's gonna it's gonna be a bummer. Um but yeah, this but yeah, this is great. Angelica Houston is just sinks her fangs into this role She's fantastic. Um and she has such a she has such a great sequence inside of the the banquet hall where she actually she's her front is like they're part of this uh uh women against uh, like abuse children. I forgot the the initials for the acronym, but uh, they're actually that's actually the opposite of what they're trying to do. They're trying to turn children into mice through this special potion that they're distributing to all the witches so they can scatter across. Basically, at the end of the film, we not, not really a spoiler, but we find out she's got she's in contact with all the witches around the world so they can try to, you know, in, ensnare all the children and kill them. And, yeah, this movie gets really dark. Um, again, this goes back to my thing about... How young kids should be exposed to horror movies—not exactly this extreme stuff—but I think stuff like this is perfect, where it kind of leaves this indelible mark on their fragile little minds. Um, and uh, yeah, you don't want to see witches, witches stomping on children that are in mice form. Yeah. But um, but uh, yeah, this movie's great. I uh, I was I was I was just enthusiastic watching it the entire time.
1: Yeah, well, that's that's the thing about it, too. It's a lot of fun. And I, you know, anytime Jim Henson, too, it's it's always going to be amazing. And I really love the effects. And, you know, these these witches also like wear masks (laughs) um, and wigs. They're actually like bald, long fingered. And they're actually like kind of terrifying, you know. Um, Yeah, of course. And. You know, yeah. oh, and it's uh. By the way, it's the Royal Society of Prevention of Cruelty to Children.
0: That's what it is. Yes.
1: RSPCC.
0: <laughs> um.
1: But yeah, yeah. It's one of those movies again, and also there's a lot of like humor too with like the commentary of the two kids as mice and kind of like getting the grandma to like help them. She's like doing her own little mission, walking around with the mice in her bag, and yeah. um you know grandma just like it's it's funny i love i do that all the time i don't even know why um but it's it's just really fun funny and also terrifying you know it's it's got a lot to it and there's a lot of creepy scenes too we actually talked about it um for you know mutual site film inquiry round table that we did on video about the scene um like where basically the witch is like put like a little kid in, in this like picture uh, for eternity and it, it's creepy, yeah. you know, it's you. it almost makes me, when I was a kid because I understand, you know, we're not kids anymore, um, but when I saw it I was like, are there witches? Like what's you know, are do these things exist? And I think that's the beauty of uh, you know, film and the imagination. And uh yeah, it's it's a great one. And of course, if I watch the new one, I'm sure I will be disappointed, unfortunately, just honestly because I'm always a fan of of practical effects. I mean, I love CGI and I there's definitely a lot of reason for their existence in, in a lot of things. Um, but I really love it when you can tell that there's been like this kind of just something that someone's built um, and created, exactly. you know, and it's, I don't know, it's its I, just something lovely about them.
0: Yeah, the way I can sum it up is that I just, I love seeing the tactile craft on screen. Yes. Um, you know, seeing uh, computer animators pat themselves on the back with swift motion, fluid motion of, uh, of generated images does not excite me at all as much <laughs> as, as just as two mouse, mice running through, hotel i mean that's that's the good stuff
1: Um, right yeah (laughs) not to discredit the you know obviously like immense talent that it takes to create a lot of the special effects but but also you know like
0: the the thing too is that it's like the special effects crew could be like a dozen people puppeteering a mouse but like for a, a zemeckis movie there's probably 10,000 people in the post-production unit, making sure right. all the CG is rendered.
1: That's true. That's true. But, you know, and, and also that's that's kind of what I love about it too, because I feel like if it was that case, those 12 people like really put their stamp on this film. Like they, yeah. and, and I, I love that, you know, um, obviously Jim Henson, there's a lot of things to, to love about his creations. And, and a lot of it is the practical effects. And some of my favorite horror movies really, you know, <clears throat> the thing really rely on some amazingly like built, uh, just practical effects so i'm always a fan and yeah mice running down the hall kind of you know chatting back and forth one of them wanting to just do nothing but eat <laughs> that gets me every time
0: i do like the little foreshadowing where the uh, the the i forget his name no, this is oh bruno bruno, bruno. is the, uh, the bruno. Kid. He's, he's eating all the food <laughs> that they're laying out he's kind of just nibbling it the and,
1: buffet basically yeah, yeah. He's, he's loving nibbling it
0: nibbling it and putting it back and uh uh, we didn't mention that um, in a very like straight man role. Rowan Atkinson is in this movie. Um, yes. he's the manager of the uh, the hotel, and um, he's funny. Yeah, he's good. And uh, there's they there's this kind of funny clever little foreshadowing where they say oh, I think there was a mouse nibbling at the uh, at the food in the buffet, and then Bruno of course is the first boy who gets turned into a mouse. Um, which if I were to see that that like his transformation sequence, uh, that like coupled with um, angelica houston in her grand high witch makeup mm-hmm. that probably would have terrified me if i saw it as a kid um just because again you're, you're if you're a little boy like i was you would kind of put yourself in the place of these kids shoes and you yeah. don't want that happening to you so i
1: didn't i'm not yeah. a little boy but i was a little girl. i didn't want it to happen and yeah. honestly like i said it you know i i never took candy from strangers so i guess it like did its job there but it definitely terrified me absolutely um, yeah
0: and then yeah just the the creepy implication of like of hiding a child's soul inside of a painting and Mm. the the painting ages over time and eventually before eventually the figure disappears in the painting so there's just that awful realization that oh that that child grew up and died inside the painting and that's so yeah what's that like sad yeah
1: what's a painting life like
0: (laughs) oh man i never want to find out uh Uh. dorian gray i am not um (laughs) But uh yeah uh I've I've got nothing but just just praise for this movie and uh I think uh the ending kind of sets it up for what could have been a really fun sequel but uh you know every time I think of a sequel the only thing that comes to mind is Hansel and Gretel Witch Hunters which is a piece right. of shit
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah um and I have to say you know not to spoil but there is a good witch because there's always there's always got to be one amongst the group you know Yeah uh, so it it does leave a interesting it would have been fun to see what they did if they had done a sequel but alas now we just have the uh, remake like we do everything else and you know what are you gonna do but definitely venture yeah. out and watch this one because it, it's something I watch every well, I watch it pretty frequently but all my favorite movies I watch frequently which is way too many to count but it's definitely a good one for this time of year too just because it does have the you know, it's got, it's a dark kind of fantasy. It has like Mm -hmm. horrific elements. It's you know, got witches and it's uh, it's a lot of fun. It's definitely worth a watch if you haven't seen it yet. And it's interesting, by the way, just for our many listeners, we didn't intend on randomly like going back and forth chronologically with our movies, but it just worked out that way. And I think this is a a good one to end on.
0: Yeah, and uh, again, also we were not trying to this is not a tie-in to the release of the Zemeckis film.
1: Yeah, though. we're not getting paid by Zemeckis. This even though was... we just said we're not watching it. Yeah. Obviously,
0: we're not. I don't think anybody knew that movie existed until, like, a month ago. Cause then I, just I started. I
1: yeah. had no idea until I saw the trailer. And I actually saw it trending, and I was like, what is this? And then yes. I was so surprised when it was, like, a month from now or whatever. It's like, whoa. That it's was so sick. weird.
0: There's, like, no surprises for a lot of movies anymore. Um <laughs> It you it's things just are announced and come out on streaming within a month there's uh there's you know i think i don't know i think that could be a problem because then also the shelf life of those movies does not last like you mentioned that you you grew up watching the witches and you loved it and it still holds up for you to this day i don't think you know some people might check out this new one over the first weekend but then it's gonna immediately evaporate as as some things zemeckis made later in his Great. life
1: yeah, some things have staying power. Absolutely, because yeah. like you hadn't seen it, I saw it as a kid, so I could think like, well, if I watched it now for the first time, would I feel the same way? And just you know, from our conversation, I think I absolutely would, and that's saying something.
0: About well, a movie. it's now a movie that I own and will happily uh, revisit.
1: Uh, down the line. I uh, win. I'm just uh, kidding. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just kidding. No, I'm very, very happy that you yeah. enjoyed and i enjoyed the movies that you suggested as well
0: yeah this is a great uh a great mix of double uh, dose indeed yeah. yeah so can't to our listeners out there i can't promise that um every episode will be a double feature but uh i think certainly a format we could play with more often if
1: uh yeah if, maybe like if the if holidays we or something at some point
0: yeah definitely well i think that wraps up our the witches talk and also possibly wraps up our Blind Spots episode. Uh, Christy, did you have anything else you wanted to add on any no. of the films? Yeah.
1: I don't Do you want that...
0: to... All right. Do you want to <laughs> share your social media if anybody wants to reach out or follow you?
1: Yeah, it's funny. It always takes me a second. Like, <laughs> um, But yeah, Twitter, um, our site is at Film and Kree, which mm-hmm. you can go to our site, com. And my Twitter is Strauss, S-T-R-O-U-S-E, underscore Christy, K-R-I-S-T-Y, instagram chris at christian film
0: very good yeah i'm at uh jake tropila on all things so J- j-a-k-e-t-r-o-p-i-l-a hit me up wherever you like i keeps have it easy the, yeah i have the claim <laughs> to that name as uh i am the only one in the world um but yeah that's it for uh this episode of blind spots again thank you very much for listening uh we hope let us know what you think about these movies if you have not seen them or if you do go see them because of our recommendations, uh, let us know what you think. We'd like to hear from you. You can tweet at us. You can write to the website. Or you can leave us a positive review on uh, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we would love to see more five-star reviews. Oh, um, for sure.
1: I'm yeah. smiling right now. Just me yeah. with my hands under my chin,
0: please. Yeah.
1: But no, please <laughs> give us comments and feedback and let us know what these what you think. It's It's amazing, too. You know, we don't always intentionally, obviously, do this. But these four movies are very different. Like as different for kind of movies in the Halloweenish, like October watch type of vibe that you could pick, which is pretty yeah. cool.
0: Yeah. We had a nice little uh, variety. We got our our, uh, we got our, our, I'm not, I'm not going re- to recount them all, but you know, there's like, we got supernatural horror. We got our, our kid nightmare fuel. We got our, just our grimy slasher. You know, there's a nice, a nice mix. So something for yeah. everybody. If, if you don't want to see everything. Yeah. But, a little um, potpourri. Yeah. Hope Free of Horror. Very nice. That's the subtitle for this week's episode. But uh, yeah, well, uh, thanks again for uh, listening, everybody. Uh, We will uh, see you next time on Blind Spots.
1: Take care. Thank you. Did you ever?